0: I am so excited. This is, uh, as Pastor Todd said, having men together, worshiping the Lord. There is nothing like it. It is, um, it's a treat for me. This um, this time that we spend together, I, I, um, I'm just excited that you would allow me to come back. Evidently, I didn't do a bad job last time, so you asked me to come back. Either that or you're asking me to redeem myself. I'm not sure which one, so we'll, we'll try to work through it. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you know where Wyoming is? There you go. That's what I figured about a third of you. When I got on the plane on Wednesday morning, it was 39 degrees. (laughs) The doves and the teal are on your way. I'm just telling you. Um, we, uh, We wore our coats to the airport, took them off, put them in the car, and ran to the terminal to get in. Ran to the plane, got out in Houston, and about died. (laughs) Oh, My lanta is hot. But I'm okay. I think I'll be okay. I I had a shrimp po' boy, and I think I'm on the mend. So we're working really good. How many um, many young people do we have here under the age of 25? And I'm just going to pick that number tonight. If you'd stand up. Let's look at you. Let's put our eyes on you. All right. Let's give these guys a hand. You guys can be seated. Whether you know it or not, young guys, young men, you are going to be the future leaders of our nation. Some of you, and I know some of your parents are going, really? And I'm going to tell you something as a parent. I know that I don't need to do that. I, um, I know I don't look that old, but um, I, have, um, I have three children and ten grandchildren, and I tell everybody that the grandchildren are what I suffered through my children to get to. My, my oldest daughter just hates it when I say that, but I said, you weren't really there when you were growing up. I, couldn't, I can tell you what it was like. But as we, um, as we raised our children, and, as, and I know you do, how many of us ever think about the children that were raised? Most of us just want them to grow up. We want them to um, live a good, productive life, stay out of trouble, get married, have children, uh, have the children that we had so that they can suffer through what we suffered through, all of those different things. But how many of us really think that our children are capable of things that are greater than themselves? How many, of them, how many of us in this room have worked with our children and we understand the value and the worth that they have to us or our grandchildren? How many of us even think that it's possible that maybe, and I'm just going to be very careful here, that our son or our daughter would become the President of the United States someday? Do we ever look at them that way? Or we just go, I just hope you make it through high school. I just hope you continue to attend high school. Listen, I had to bribe my, my son to graduate with a toolbox for the back of his truck, and that's all it took? Thank you, Jesus. You know what I mean? I sat him down. He wasn't doing real well. I said, listen, if you graduate, I said, what can I get you as a gift? He said, boy, Dad, I really want one of those toolboxes that fits in the back. You know, the, the diamond plate? I said, it's yours if you make it. When he graduated, that was the cheapest graduation gift I ever bought in my life. (laughs) But I never thought, raising my children, that they would turn out. I I prayed and I hoped um, that they would turn out okay. And that's what, as a parent, all of us want for our children, isn't it? I mean, really and truthfully, we want them to be better and have more than we do. And so uh, hopefully our lives are spent with those kids doing that. And for you to bring these young men here tonight, God bless you. They need to be with older men. They need to see people worshiping the Lord. They need, see, they need to see people sitting together and loving one another without fighting or worrying about different things. You know, we have something here that is really special tonight. We really do. You know, I know that you came here tonight to eat really good
1: food. And I know that you came here tonight to win this shotgun. But I'm going to tell you, you didn't come here to listen to me tonight. And I'd like to think that
0: what I share with you is filled with hope that will encourage you and strengthen you in the days ahead. Because what you really came here for tonight was to meet the one who made you. You came... Because God moved upon your heart to bring you here. And you're saying, no, no, I came because I want to win the shotgun. I mean, I did get the LSU chair, but I really wanted the shotgun. I'm going to tell you, you came tonight because God moved upon your heart and he spoke to you and you heard his voice. Now, you maybe are not sure that you're understanding exactly what I'm saying, but because you came tonight, it wasn't by accident, it's because someone, as a friend of yours who gave you a ticket or encouraged you, or you've been here in the past, you came because the Lord had a divine appointment for you. He had you here, and he brought this skinny kid from Wyoming that has no accent to speak to you. I really, I don't have an accent. I don't know. Y'all got some pretty thick stuff, but I'm okay. I was fortunate as a young man to come to Lafayette, Louisiana, and go to Bible college with the mentor of this church, uh, Pastor Francis Martin. And he raised me up in the Lord. And I got to eat Cajun food. And I've never been the same since. Crawfish runs thick in my veins. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh, my, the, the catfish coupillon out there. Mm. That make you jump up and slap your (laughs) mom-in-law. And then run. How many of us here are prepared for the unexpected? Or we think that we are. How many of us have prepared our families and our children for the unexpected? You know, down here you guys have something that we can't even imagine you know you have hurricanes and uh different things uh what we have up there snowstorms and usually you can survive a snowstorm i i can't even imagine going through a hurricane so i mean you guys prepare i i believe uh for the possibility of hurricanes so and in the midst of that there's the things that you expect and then there's the unexpected so i'm sure that you probably prepare your children prepare your family or even in, or at least in the back of your mind do that um as sportsmen, which I'm assuming that you're some sort of a sportsman or you enjoy something to do with it tonight or you wouldn't be here, um, we should be at most times, and, and as we are, we're prepared as well as we can be for most things that come up. I have a son I shared with you, um, who, by the way, <laughs> that rat fink, um, he left and went elk hunting while I was here and said, too bad, I'm going, I will see you next year. So I called him just a few minutes before I came in, and uh, he's down in Jackson, Wyoming, hunting um, all kinds of different game. And I thought, I'm just going to call him, as I always do when he's hunting, and leave a message on his phone, because he's usually out of cell range. If you've ever been to Wyoming, you, you understand our pain. And so he picks up the phone, second ring. And I said, Josh, what are you doing? He said, real quiet. I'm sitting on a ridge looking at deer. I said, where are you at? And I said, are you at Grays River? Yeah. You can't talk? No. I said, well, I just called to tell you I love you. Okay, bye. (laughs) I did ask him. I said, well, I, I thought you were down there hunting elk. He said, yeah, that, deer, whatever comes by. 11,000 feet, he's sitting on a ridge, not thinking of me. I took him and my daughters hunting all the time, but mostly he wanted to be with me when he was young. He'd hunt with me as long as he could walk. And I remember, I think the earliest I took him was five. And we'd deer hunt together because it was easier in the Black Hills And I remember I'd carry him when the snow got too deep on my shoulders. And he just, oh, he wanted to be with me. The last time I remember hunting with him was when he got 12 and we went hunting. And after that, he just lost all interest in hunting. I remember when I would take him hunting, I would quiz him all the time. And we'd be walking through the trees because my dad did this for me. I remember being able to hunt deer with my dad. And um, I would ask him all the time. I said, where's the truck? Uh, it's over there. No, it's over there. You ever do that with your children? I mean, if you're in the marsh, you, I'm, okay. So that was the routine. And we did that for years. And um, I remember him asking me one time when he was older, and, and he was so thoroughly bored with my repeated quizzing. He said, Dad, why do you ask me where the truck is at all the time? I said, because, son, if something happens to me, like if I had a heart attack or if I break a leg, you know how to get back to the truck and get help. Oh, really enthusiastic. We hunt a lot in the Black Hills of Wyoming. How many of you have been to the Black Hills? Rushmore in that area there? There are white-tailed deer, black bear, turkeys, elk, and um, in um, many ways it presents a problem that you guys probably have down here in, in the marsh in different areas, like if you're in the bayou hunting and things like that, because um, now the problems we have up there as hunting, hunters is the, the ridges in the Black Hills, you start out on one. And you don't end up in the same place all the time because the fingers go out and they they bleed you out into an area. You can be six or f- five or six miles away from the truck, and you have no way of seeing the the uh, because you're in the trees, so you can't see landmarks and things like that. So you really have to be aware of your surroundings. So that's why I, all the time I quizzed him and quizzed him and quizzed him because I wanted him to be prepared for the unexpected. Now, no one ever expects their dad to drop dead while they're, while they're hunting, um, and he, I know he looked at me like, Pff, uh, the possibility of breaking a leg the way we hunt sometimes could happen, and he's not going to carry me out, but then I would ask him, okay, if you got back to the truck, could you get back to me? Never was encouraged by his answer. So I pretty much figured that if something happened to me, I'd be there and he'd be to the truck. Now, when he quit hunting with me, it was a hard time in my life because I'd made this challenge with him because it was more than just a hunting lesson. It was a life lesson because there are things that you're going to deal with in life that are unexpected because we have this expectation and unrealistically so that life is going to be a certain way and it's always going to be that certain way until something happens and changes that thing. At junior high he didn't think dad was so cool anymore. He started skateboarding, snowboarding had his friends didn't want much to do with me. And so I went through a few years of Hunting by myself and hunting with friends was never the same. Finally, after he went to college and grew up, got married, suddenly he decided that I was a great guy to hang around with again. You see, I prepared him him the best I could against the day when he could go higher and faster than me and pack game out on his back and still have fresh legs at the end of the day. 11,000 feet in southeast southwest Wyoming. I can't go there. <laughs> there isn't even a way to do it. He just got back from the Grays River two weeks ago. He had two foot of snow. I, got a, um, I think I got a picture of him. I'm sorry, I, I was supposed to cue the guys up. Um, he took a selfie and sent it and said, Dad, having fun, how are you? If you can kind of look at that, see the guy standing behind him? That ridge is 11,000 feet. Closer to God than we are, yeah. And uh, at the at the extreme end of that ridge, which is a couple, three miles away, they set their tent. And um, it was um, just like 2,000 feet straight down, or not straight down, but at an extreme angle. And that's where they camped. <laughs> he just left... To go elk hunting, I thought, but now he's back down there deer hunting. He never tells me what he's doing. We have this thing this year that everybody in Wyoming is really excited about. The federal government finally decided to allow us to hunt the wolves that they put in there illegally in the 90s. The wolves have been through there and they've devastated, absolutely decimated the moose and the elk herds. Uh, The hunting that used to be there and there in Idaho and Montana, it's just horrible. And so um, finally, Wyoming became smart enough to take care of its own, and they allowed us to do these tags. So my son got this wolf tag, and that's what he's over there. He's really just kind of looking for wolves more than he's looking for anything else. He's trying to get even with them because last year, him and his his, uh, cousin hiked back in 12 miles, and they were on a herd of elk. And while they were watching these elk, waiting for them to come close to them, A pack of wolves came out and just decimated the herd right in front of them, and they couldn't shoot them or do anything. So think about walking 12 miles back in there, having everything that you want right in front of you and running into that. So when we get together and when we hunt, the one thing we do is to pray. Now, he treats that like having to pray before a meal. You know what that is? Let's get this over with so we can get to the good stuff. But every time we went, I made sure that we stopped, we took our hats off, and we prayed. You see, I've always believed that prayer and seeking the Lord's guidance and protection every time we go into the field protects us from the unexpected or at best prepares us spiritually. Now, Wyoming is a, new, is a unique place to hunt. Has anybody ever hunted there? Anybody? Golly, I wish you could come and hunt. It's a, it's a hoot. Um, you have to have good legs. There's not enough air. Um, our town is uh, almost at 5,000 feet. And then we hunt from there above. But if it's this place being as unique as it is, it's, um, it's, has its own challenges, some of it's dangerous, some of it really isn't. Um, Some of the areas that we hunt in, especially like where my son is right now, there are grizzlies, mountain lions, wolves. The wolves aren't necessarily the problem. Grizzly bears have been in the past. And um, when you go to the mountains and you're hunting in grizzly country, they have a set of rules for you. The rules are where you set your tent, your food tent has to be a hundred yards away and the food has to be suspended in a tree a minimum of 12 feet off the ground. If you harvest an elk or a deer or something like that, that has to be a hundred yards in a different direction, hoisted up 12 feet, suspended between two trees if you're going to stay there overnight. You don't take food into your, to- into your tent. If you do, I always liken that to a nylon taco shell. You're inviting something that you're not going to like. So the unexpected, there we kind of we you know we prepare for. You go into the into the wilderness. You never think that it's going to happen, but sometimes it does. Uh, last year, a young man three miles from my son uh, on this same hunt walked into the uh, into a trail, separated, and walked between a, a sow and two cubs, grizzly bear. She charged down the hill, grabbed him by the head flipped him on the ground, tore his ear so that it was just hanging off, bit through his scalp, bit him in the shoulder, flung him around, stomped on him, and left him lay there. He laid there for a while unconscious. He gets up and starts back to the truck, which was about four miles away. One mile from his truck, she found him again. Took him down, shook him, stomped on him bit him in the head again, and waited until she was sure he was dead. (laughs) He crawled back to his truck. Can you imagine that last mile? Now, that doesn't happen to everybody, but usually every year, somebody gets it. And some people say, well, why would you hunt there? I don't know, we're just dumb, I guess. (laughs) Those are the things you prepare for, because you basically know what to expect. And if you follow the rules, most of the time everything works. Uh, Because of conservation in Wyoming, and the proliferation of deer and elk in the Black Hills, we've um, found a new problem. It's called mountain lions, and it's added to our watch list. It's something we've never had to worry about or mess with in our lives before. if you ever saw a mountain track when I was growing up, a mountain lion track, it was an anomaly. Uh, you never saw a mountain lion during the day. Ever. In the Black Hills, every year, uh, elk hunters um, that are bow hunters have confrontations with mountain lions. They're usually coming in, uh, it's kind of unique, we have a, if you're familiar with elk hunting, there's a call called a cow talk, and it's, it's just kind of a mew, and that thing attracts mountain lions like like butter. They just love it. And so um, used to be we couldn't carry guns. We've had uh, incidents about three years ago. A guy um, is sitting there. He's calling, cow talking. He looks up and there's a mountain lion looking right at him and charges him. And all he's got is a bow and he shoots and hits the thing between the eyes and drops it. I'm not that good. And I'm afraid I'm not that lucky. Wyoming and their wisdom has allowed us to carry pistols now. I don't know if that's to shoot yourself or whatever it is. I'm not sure. But three years ago, I walked into a can into a canyon. I was elk hunting, not bow hunting. I had rifle, and it was it was kind of in in the winter time. And um, I climbed the side of this canyon to get up to a, an opening because there was a lot of times elk are there. So right at evening, I'm sitting on this opening and I'm just watching and I'm sitting there and it starts. Lightly snowing. And as I sit there, I, I mean, if you've ever uh, been in a place where the snow just falls straight down and, the, and there's no wind and it's just kind of a, a, a beautiful thing. So I'm sitting under a tree just watching and I stayed there for a while because the, uh, the moon came out and it, it illuminated through the clouds. And you could and it looked like the, the snowflakes were uh, fluorescent as they're coming down. And so I just sat there for a long time and I got up and, and usually I do this all the time. I always wait till dark. I get up and then I walk back out to the truck. And so I walked down the side of this, um, uh, uh, the canyon wall and got out and got to the fence. And it was just, like I said, it was just lightly snowing. And I got in my truck, went back to camp, came back the next day. Parked the same spot because there was elk sign in there. So I jumped over the fence. And uh, to my horror, I looked down and there were mountain lion tracks in my tracks. And I thought, oh, that's weird. I've never seen that before. I put my hand down in the, ma- in the track, and I spread it out about like this, and his paw was bigger than my hand like that. And so I thought, well, I wonder how long he followed me. So I walked all the way back up. He followed me all the way from the clearing. Now, we've got pictures on game cameras in Wyoming of uh, white-tailed deer walking through the trees with a mountain lion walking right behind them. I don't, have you ever seen one of those? <laughs> bad day for the deer. Well, I realized that it was a bad day for me and I didn't even know it. I never expected that. So now I'm on alert and I'm walking through the, in this canyon and, and I walk up and I'm coming around this, this finger and all of a sudden I hear something just about 45 yards in front of me and I look up and here's this mountain lion sliding down the hill trying to get his feet because he'd come around the corner same time I did and, and panicked him. And he, we were both panicked. I mean, I had a rifle and I just looked at him. I'd never seen one. I'd lived in Wyoming all my life and never seen a live mountain lion like that. And he turns and he ran, and I stood there and thought, oh, why didn't you shoot him? Both scared to death, that's right. <laughs> he was a big male. I'd run Andre's tracks a number of times for a couple of years. I mean, he was big. Um, our neighbors right next door uh, to the ranch right next door to us uh, harvested him a year later with dogs. And he weighed 185 pounds. Now, I got to thinking about that. What would I do? Because I have a house cat. And this thing is like, and I, know some, I, don't, I don't think cats are saved or can go to heaven, but we have one. But I watched this, this cat you know, flip, and they are so agile, and I'm thinking, take that and multiply it by 180 pounds, and you have something that you're not prepared for. No, you don't want it in your house. We have, in Colorado, they have mountain lions come down, and they're looking, they've got pictures of of these mountain lions looking through people's screen doors at their cats and dogs. So, it's kind of fun. I'm not painting a picture that we live in this super dangerous place. It's just I'm talking about the unexpected tonight. Now, I went home and I told my family, and I always told my son to be careful because in all those years, I'd never seen one. And so we started seeing these cats over and over and over. Um, And I'd always been told, and I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I felt that it was okay. As long as you have a good deer population, the mountain lions will leave you alone. That's not necessarily true. So two years ago, my, hun was, my son was hunting elk in that very same canyon. It was in the middle of November, during rifle season. He started cow calling when something answered him back on the next ridge in front of him. He called, suddenly another one answered to his right on the same ridge. It wasn't elk. It was two different lions calling back to him. It was on a Sunday, and I was getting ready to go to church, and I got a phone call from my son. <laughs> I answer it, and he goes, Dad. And he's kind of out of breath. There are two lions here talking to me, and they're coming to my call. I'm going to the bottom and setting up, and I'll call them, to see if I can get a shot at them. Just wanted you to know where I'm at, which ridge I'm on. Got to go. Goodbye. Click. He didn't tell me what Reggie was on. So my wife said, who was that? I said, well, that was Bubba. Why did he call you? I said, I explained the story. and She goes, is he nuts? (laughs) I said, he's your son. (laughs) It's always her fault. (laughs) So I don't remember what I preached that day. I went to church. It probably one that I should have had back. I know that, whatever the sermon was. Because all I could think about was all the things that could happen, both bad and good. And so when, he, when I got done, I ran to my office. And normally I get down to the pulpit, I meet people. Boy, I, I ran to my office. I picked up my phone. I thought, and I hope I can get him. So I call him. He picks up the phone. <laughs> and he says, Dad. I'm all right. I'm going to get help. And I said, what do you mean you're all right? I'll tell you when I get home. See you in a couple hours. Click. Two hours later, he calls me from my dad's house with a mountain lion in the back of his truck. And the rest of the story. He had set up with his back to a clump of trees and the whole hillside in front of him going up the ridge where he had heard the cats calling. The hillside was covered with patches of snow and a thick layer of oak, aspen leaves, so he thought he could hear or see anything that was coming. And he set up so that the breeze was in his face so he had a pretty good idea that he was okay and he knew where the cats were at. So as he's going down into this thing, he's calling and they're calling back and they're calling back so he gets set up and suddenly they quit talking. And he thought, well, maybe they quit. And so he's sitting there, and he's still looking and looking. Right in front of him, about 40 yards, was an old pine tree that had fallen a number of years before. It was so old it didn't have limbs on it or bark. It was just kind of gray, and it was just laying there in the oak leaves. All of a sudden, he said, it grew deathly quiet. Squirrels. Quit chirping. Y'all know what squirrels are here, right? You got a season opening up next week. Is that right? We got tiny squirrels. (laughs) Birds quit chirping. It just, he said it's just like the air went out of everything. And he said he could feel the hair on the back of his neck kind of start going up. And so he starts looking really hard and he looks at the stump and all of a sudden he catches the flick of a tail. And there's a mountain lion looking at him at forty yards behind the stump. Baba started to raise his seven psalm, which is a short action ultra mag with a high-powered scope. The cat leapt over the log, made two bounds to get to him. He pulled up and fired at the same time the cat jumped. The bullet struck the cat. In the mouth, knocking out his right top canine, exited his shoulder, and the thing fell 15 feet in front of him. You want to see the pictures? I got a couple. These are the the claws. This rifle, by the way, my dad made for him. My dad builds rifles. I'll go back to that other picture for just a second, if, if you will. Do you notice something on this cat that's missing? He's only got a half a tail. His tail froze off the, the game warden probably said probably when he was a, a, a kit. Anyway, go ahead. This one, by the way, only weighed about 135 pounds. That's still a big enough cat to mess with. So he tried tying him to his backpack. <laughs> now, you can see the, see the oak leaves in the snow, and he's down in the bottom there with some scrub oaks and stuff. And he couldn't get the backpack off the ground. So he walked out about five miles and got our hired man from the ranch, and they walked back up, and they stuck it on a pole and, and came out. Now, why the cat charged him, I don't know. The only thing that I could think is that it was breeding season. The other cat was a female, probably. And toms are very territorial. And for some reason, he perceived my son as a threat. Nothing in my life that I had ever done, nothing that I had ever taught him that I ever felt, prepared him for that moment. Nothing. Grace of God... Miracle, whatever you want to call it. I don't believe in luck. Luck is what a fool calls it when God gives him a break. So, the passage of Scripture found in 1 Peter chapter 5 has taken a new meaning for our whole family. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Peter reminds us to stand firm in our faith and resist Him. And this is what he said, The God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, strengthen, and establish you. That's a promise that you can get a hold of. You see, I know that my son, being prepared as he was, was never prepared for that. When he went into that valley... The unexpected was waiting for him. 3,000 years ago, another young man, a little younger than my son, went down into a valley. You might know about that one. We read about him. His name is David. He faced a giant between 11 and 13 feet tall called Goliath. He went prepared with a sling and a stone and the name of the Lord. And we know how that story turned out. And so sometimes when I think about these things, I think about the providence and the love that God has for us and how he watches over us and the things that he's done. I'm amazed. See, our preparation can help more often than not. But we still rely on God's grace for the unexpected. Where's our hope and trust today? And I'm just going to ask you that question. Do you trust in your ability to uh, to know where the fish are, to know where, how to hunt, to do all these things? Where is your trust? Now, there's there's some of this that, of course, you know, we put together, we call it experience, and that's good. We need it, and we rely on it, and we pass that on to our children. But along with that experience, the most important thing that we can pass on to our children is the understanding that God is their God, and that He loves them, and He cares for them, and He is the one who watches over them. Who do we thank for sparing us on a daily basis? That's what I want to encourage you with tonight. Just this question. Who takes care of you? Who watches over you? who delivers you. Amen, buddy, the Lord. I just did a funeral for a 26-year-old boy just on Friday. I sat with the parents and I got to listen to them. They didn't understand why he took his life. The father was just absolutely devastated. And his question to me who am I going to hunt with now my buddy's gone who's going to help me train the dog that him and I just bought he's gone and as I'm sitting there my heart just almost stopped because my son and I just purchased dogs together to train for blood tracking and and, uh, retrieval. And we hunt together. The similarities to me were just too much. I'm going to tell you, guys, my heart breaks for that father. If by the grace of God, I get to hunt with my buddy again, who abandoned me and is 11,000 feet in the Tetons right now, the dog. If God's grace allows us to hunt together, I'm going to tell you this. When I go into the field with him and when we pray, I'm going to think of that man. And I'm going to understand how important this time is that I'm going to spend with my son and how important it is to trust the Lord and how fortunate and blessed I am as a father that he allows me to spend that time with my son. Life is short. And the question I have for you is, are you prepared for the known as well as the unknown? The expected as well as the unexpected. The unexpected comes in many forms. Things you're not prepared for and would never go through willingly sometimes. As we sit here tonight, can you, un- un- can you identify the unexpected things in your life? The valleys that you've gone into either willingly or unwillingly? And maybe even lived to tell about? Maybe it's a valley you don't know that you can get out of. A valley of grief, hopelessness, lifelessness. The scriptures tell us, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they will comfort me. Who has sustained you and carried you through to this point? You haven't done it on your own strength. I think you already know. Give God the glory and the thanks for His providence and provision. Enjoy the days you have with your children and your families. Fathers, sons, if I can share anything with you here tonight, if you are unreconciled, if you have a problem with each other, don't wait to fix. But the problem is, put your pride down,
1: put everything that stands in your way, because someday the unexpected may come to you.
0: Are you prepared for that? I deal with people in the area of grief all the time. The worst of the worst is when you do a funeral for someone who's unreconciled with their father or their mother, who couldn't say goodbye didn't have the words, didn't know. And if I can encourage you tonight in anything, as a, as a young man, if you've reached that point that my son reached where he didn't want to be around me because I
1: wasn't smart anymore, if you've reached that point with your dad, stop for just a minute and think. Is what you're doing right now worth what you're going through? Will you miss your dad? Now,
0: maybe you don't have the best dad in the world. If you're a dad here tonight, how many of us were perfect? None of us. Usually when our children become parents, they come back and they have a cup of coffee and say, whew, man, were you right. And you say, I know, I told you so. Proverbs 16, 9 says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. I told my son I was going to share this story tonight, and he was less than enthused. He's come to learn from me that there's a lesson in everything if you want to look, and there's always this lesson evolves around the Word of God and God's provision. Some of them are shared, and some are personal. All come from our Heavenly Father,
1: who gave His only Son that we might have life and that life more abundantly. Bubba is the only son I have left. I had two. Told my wife I'd make it through this. So I enjoy him as much as I can. It's now 35 years later,
0: and he waits for me at the top of the hills and ridges and places we used to hunt together. And he always yells down to me, Hey, old man,
1: what am I gonna say? Are you okay? Hurry up, we'll be late getting there. He's always in a hurry, as was I when I was his age. He gets to the elk and the deer faster, and has a way better eye than I do. But he still loves hunting with me, occasionally. I can't tell you how much you have been on my heart since
0: July when Pastor Todd called me. You don't know me, I don't know you. I labored over what to share with you that would be relative or relate to anything in your life.
1: I'm a, I'm a guy who, sp- who flunked speech class in high school. And I became a preacher. You think God doesn't have a sense of humor? But you have been on my heart since July. You have been prayed for. Not by name
0: but just because you were going to be here tonight, that you would accept this divine appointment and invitation from the living God
1: to come to this place and meet him, not me. My hope for you this night
0: is that if there's anything unreconciled in your life, anything that you would reconcile it, Because the Bible says that God will redeem the time. He will redeem the time. It is never too late. Never. Dads, grandfathers, uncles, brothers, you are important to the young men in your lives. They need you. They need you worse than they need the friends that they think they like more than you. They need you to pray with them. They need you to walk with them. They need you to tell them every
1: day you love them. My intent tonight was to call my son, leave a voicemail, and say, hey, love you, bud. But I got him instead. He didn't have much time for me, but at least I got to talk to him. But that was all I needed. That's all I needed.
0: Now I realize that that can be taken from me I can be taken from him but I'm going to tell you what I'm going out of here with no regrets he's going out of here with no regrets my hope for you tonight and I'm sorry I took up so much of your time my hope for you tonight And this, I don't know why, but this is so on my heart for you. Reconciliation. Reconciliation with your dad, your mother, your brother, your sister, whatever it is. Because God restores. He made you. He knows you. The Bible says that before you were fashioned in your mother's womb, he knew you intimately. He knew everything about you. He knew that you would be here tonight. He knew that you would be listening to a guy with no accent about a story that maybe doesn't pertain to any of you. But none of that matters because he made you to know him. That's what matters. I want to take just a minute. I'm going to pray for you. And I just want to... I can't tell you how much of a privilege. Wow. Getting older and weepier and a leak how much of a privilege it is that you would spend time tonight with me that you would spend time with this church and their staff that you would come at the invitation of the God who made you you have been prayed here you're not here by accident you heard God's voice and you're here The God of the universe, who set the sun, the stars, the Milky Way, made you in His image, and His likeness. And He wants to live in you. That's a win-win, trust me. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father? Wow, I am leaking. Somebody got a Kleenex? <laughs> Thanks, brother. By the way, good music. It's okay. To, it's okay to pause when you pray, right? God's still there when you're done. Father, we worship you. Father, I thank you that you have spoken to each and every one of these men and young men tonight that are here. Father, it is you that brought them here, not me, not this wild game feed. You did. And I pray that they would see and understand and know that thing. How interested in them you are. How interested in the valley that they're in you are. So, Father, I just ask in the name of Jesus, oh, Father God, that by the power of your Spirit, you would come to this place and you would open our hearts, all of us, not just individual, all of us, that we would hear your voice better, that we would see you and know you and understand your love for us. Father, I pray tonight, as I believe you're directing me to to pray for restoration, for sons back to their fathers, for brothers back to their brothers. Father, whatever restoration is needed here, I pray that that is what you bring, because that's what you do. You are the God who restores. You specialize, Father, in the impossible, because nothing is impossible for you. You have always and always will bring order out of chaos just as you did from the very beginning of creation. Your spirit has hovered over us. You have nurtured us and watched over us even when we didn't know you. And our affairs are your concern. I pray, Father, that your words tonight, not mine, would set in the hearts of each of us that your encouragement and all of the things that you have brought us here to learn we would walk out of here with and be changed men let us be big enough as fathers to go to our children and say I'm sorry let us be big enough as young men to admit to our dads That we're not as smart as we thought we were. Restore, Father, by your Spirit. Restore, Father, the relationship that we need with you. I thank you. Oh, Father God, this has been so much fun. These men have been a blast. I thank you, Father, for this one moment in time and history. You brought each and every one of us to this place. It'll never happen again. This is a unique time, and you orchestrated it. So I pray, Father, that we not waste it, that we would seek your face, understand your love, and walk in your way. Bless these men. Bless their lives, their hearts, their families. Father, bless their jobs. Bless everything that they do. Oh, Father God, you are the God of the possible. In the valley of the shadow, you provide. Your word says that you set a table for us in the presence of our enemies. ask your blessing. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. How how do you guys want to do this? Do you want me to shut up and get out of the way? Listen, if you are struggling with grief, if you're struggling with the ability to restore or to work that out, I wanna pray with you tonight. I know the staff here wants to do that. So I just wanna make that opportunity for you afterwards when we get done here. If you would come, I, I got nothing else to do. It's a long walk back to Wyoming and I'm not ready to do that. But I love praying. And for some reason God listens to me in spite of myself. So if you need agreement, I don't have the answers but I know the one who does and I just want to be able to pray with you and over you because I know that there's some of you that are in that valley right now you're there you maybe have your back up against the tree and you don't know what's going on maybe the tree maybe the birds and the squirrels have quit chirping and you're thinking God is for you not against you he's with you and not apart from you. So I just encourage you, afterwards, just
1: come. We'll pray for you, okay? Thank you so much. God bless you guys.